Maybe do you see us on Facebook? Here, there's a countdown. There it goes, yeah. Praise the Lord, saints. This is Apostle Kevin Britt from First Century Christ Church International Divinity College. And I'm also here with Ernest Jones. Ernest is in Maryland, a very anointed brother with an apostolic calling as well to bring forth the glory of God. And so we're here for lesson four, uh, semester one. We're going through the Bible in one year at a institute level. And so for those of you who'd like to connect with the college, all you have to do, you're going to see on the screen there an email address. All you have to do is send your enrollment request to that email address from your email address, and we will email back to you. Also, we have here my wife, Pastor Jennifer Britt. She's monitoring the chat line. So if you do type in something, it will immediately be seen. And uh, it's seen by us and by her, but since we're lecturing, she might respond sooner or she might indicate to, to us over here that we're missing something that we need to respond to. So uh, praise God. Uh, you Anybody who's followed us knows you normally see Pastor C and Pastor AK from the church Philly. Their church is growing. Praise God. And actually, some of the members of the school are attending her at their church. And their church is growing. And they had a new membership Zoom meeting. And it kind of went a little over. And so that's why they're not with us today. We're going to keep them in our prayer. So let's just jump right in and respect everybody's time. Let's open up with a word of prayer. If we could all just close our eyes and consecrate ourselves unto the spirit of God. Father Lord, we ask you in the name of your son, Christ Yeshua, that you bless this time of fellowship. Father, that you take complete control of this school right now in the name of Christ Yeshua, that your spirit be upon us, that your power flow through us and that we speak only in the spirit. We pray that you stop all flesh movement, Lord. Pray for a spirit of love to just flow right now in the name of Christ Yeshua, a spirit of love. No one can minister or preach outside of the fruits of the spirit. And so, Father, may we be able to manifest that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. May we be able to flow in that anointing. May we be able to continue to humble ourselves in that anointing. May we continue to manifest that anointing in everything we do, but especially right now as we address the matters of your word. May the logos be activated in the Rima, and may the Rima take complete control, and may it bear fruit in each and every one of our lives. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We ask that you continue to bless us. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. And amen. amen. Praise the Lord, saints. So um, this week we are covering the chapters of Genesis from 18th chapter through the 22nd chapter. Okay. The Haftarah portion or the related portion would be 2 Kings 4, 1 through 37. We may not cover too much of that. And the gospel portion for this week would have been Luke 17, 28 through 37. We may not go so much into that. And the reason being is that in the school, we're also going to be using these books. Most of you students have it already. Don't worry. Yeah, guys, don't worry. These are the books right here. We got training for service. Um, we'll have Pastor Jen uh, put that ISBN number up. The next book we have that will also be helping us is Through the Bible in a Year. Um, both of these can be found on Amazon. You don't have to buy them new. You can buy them uh, used. I think total was about 
sixteen dollars. I think it's seventeen dollars. One was like nine. One was like eight dollars. It's just not. But they're very helpful and instrumental in helping you uh, navigate through the college course. Praise God. Praise God. Ernest is very anointed in and of his own right. But so he's not just here to cover my glitches, but we do. We are so blessed to have him here to cover the glitches on the system. One day we'll get that totally worked out. So Ernest showed you the books. And so those books we are going to go through the Bible in one year in the first semester. And we're focusing on what we call the Torah portions because part of the school is teaching Messianic Judaism. We're going to cover part of that in the discussion today so we understand why. And so throughout the course of the year, in fact, throughout the course of all the program, you will be covering the Torah portion. So the Messianic portion learning will go across the entire school at all times. But because we're also doing the training for service through the Bible in a year, you're going to recover those scriptures in Kings and in uh, in Luke. And so you're going to recover the Gospels and the other sections of the Bible. We're focusing here mostly on the Torah portions on the lecture piece. You are supposed to read these different uh, sections before we come together. It's important we read them before we come together. Those of you who are auditing the class, don't worry, you'll be blessed. But those of you who are part of the school, you want to read it before because we're only going to cover the highlights. And maybe you have questions. Maybe our highlights don't handle your questions. You'll be able to type the question there at the bottom. And then when you type your question, we'll see it. Also, Pastor Jennifer will see it as well. And she'll be able to respond. I see my daughter Crystal on here. Praise God. Yes, yes, yes. I see you. Hi to you as well. Praise God. And so uh, I want... Uh, <laughs> Praise the Lord. I want all of you. I'm just blessed right now. I'm just blessed. I'm blessed to see some of my spiritual children on the line. Praise God. And I just want each and every one of you, all of you, to know that you're welcome to be here. You're welcome to be here. And just announce yourself. If you announce yourself, let's take a moment, each one of you, to announce yourself and just announce your presence so that we can just say hi to each other. It's kind of difficult. Okay, it's kind of difficult when we're dealing with uh, Be Live and Zoom to build that intimacy, that communicative intimacy. Let's try to build that intimacy. So if you just type in the comments, hello or blessings or amen, just anything in the comments to announce your presence. Amen. In addition, my uh, for those who are members of the school, my wife is also taking attendance. So you just need to put down there that you're here so that we know that you're here. We can give you credit for for the hours. Okay. So while we're waiting for you guys to do that, and while you guys are typing in the different sections, we're going to now open up with a word. Well, actually, we already opened with a word of prayer, but we're going to open up with um, the first set of scriptures that we're going to cover, which is Genesis chapter 18. Praise God. Ernest, I know that we yeah. covered this on, we covered this also on Wednesday, and we talked about the three visitors um, since you're always going last, I'm going to give you an opportunity this time to go first. Um, do, do you want to um, uh, speak on chapter 18 of Genesis, or you, you want to sure. let me go? Amen. Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll take the. I'll go first. Um, so we're starting here, Genesis chapter 18. Uh, this comes right after the circumcision. So the covenant has been uh, Abraham thus far has con uh, honored his part of the covenant. And uh, quickly we see the Lord is appearing to Abraham. And then quickly we see, uh, his. it says his eyes, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door 
to meet them and bow himself to the earth and say, oh, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. So it's very interesting. Three men. Then he says, oh, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight. And uh, when we discussed this on Wednesday, a lot of individuals thought that out of these three men, uh, that one of them uh, might actually have been God himself uh, uh, addressing Abraham. And when you read the scripture and you go through, you can tell that the scripture supports that the probability of God being there is 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 it's it's a, it's a strong possibility he could have been there. It doesn't say for sure, but it hints at that because you can tell the way that Abraham addresses the Lord alone. And then we see the two men would later go down to uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham stands and intercedes for Lot um, with the Lord one-on-one. -on -one. So that kind of shows you the relationship that Abraham has. And also, wasn't Abraham one of the ones that was brought back on the Mount of Figuration? That's correct. Yeah. So when, when I, I did research on that, I was like, oh, well, then obviously him and the Lord have a different relationship. So like, I, not only are you going to see, possibly see me now, but when Jesus comes back, when Jesus comes, you're actually, he's going to call you down. You're going to see him as well, which pretty interesting. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes, that is very interesting. And if you read those scriptures, if you read those scriptures, it does say that three men showed. It does show that they're divine beings, okay, um, angelic, okay. But one of them speaks as it says, and the Lord said, and the Lord said unto him, and the Lord said unto him. So there is this presence of God that appears to be specifically operating through one of them. And, of course, we know that they go on to Sodom. And when they go on to Sodom, only two of the angels actually go on to Sodom. Praise the Lord. So um, I wanted to bring out about chapter 18 something very interesting, how Abraham pleads for Sodom. You see, one of the things that I find missing sometimes in theological edification is there's a lot of focus on knowledge, but not a lot of focus on character, love, and relationship. And so the character of Christ Yeshua was to die for the sins of the world. Now, the character of Abraham appears to be to be concerned for the lives of the people in Sodom. Now, it's true that Lot was there, and it can be easily argued he was arguing for life, Lot's life. But if he was arguing for Lot's life, he sure spent a lot of time arguing for Sodom when he could have simply just argued for Lot. He could have just said, God, please, I have my nephew over there. If you could just pull my nephew out before you destroy Sodom. Okay, he could have taken the attitude that, yeah, I don't have any concern over Sodom. If my nephew could get out, what you do to Sodom is your business. I mean, after all, you're God. But instead, you see Abraham pleading for the lives of the unsaved. And I think that that's worthy of note. You know, one of the things you're going to learn in this school is that we're not here to elevate you in some sort of academic collegiate world. We're here to elevate you in the spirit through collegiate study. Okay, so you're going to take a collegiate approach to understanding scripture, but we're also going to teach you character. Now, if we're sons of Abraham, then we ought to have the heart of Abraham. And as sons of Abraham and sons and students of Christ, we ought to have the attitude and the heart of Christ to be desiring that the lost be saved, desiring that God not destroy any of his creation. 
because of the love one that God has for them, that he doesn't want to destroy them, and the love that we should have for them since they're kindred spirits. In fact, we're all related in some way, brothers, sisters, cousins, and distant cousins, if, because in the Torah does it not teach that we all came from Adam and Eve. So if we all came from Adam and Eve, then we're all related, second cousins, third cousins, 3,000th cousins, we're still cousins. Okay, and so Adam pleads for the life of the people of Sodom. Abraham, right? Excuse me, I'm sorry, I said Adam, that's right. Abraham pleaded for the life of the people of Sodom. Okay, and then you can see how when the visitors arrived, how Abraham immediately went to greet them, to, to, to entreat them. He ran inside, told Sarah to prepare something for them. This takes me to Christ dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they say, he says, you claim to be children of Abraham, but Abraham did not behave in the way in which you do, for you desire to kill me. So Abraham didn't see three visitors and say, these people might be rivals for my kingdom. Adam immediately, excuse me, I keep saying Adam, Abraham immediately went to trying to serve them because he could see something special about these men. He could see that they were of God. He could see that they had a righteousness about them. It doesn't say exactly how Adam, Abraham knew, but he knew. And so also did the Pharisees know that there was something special about Jesus that was something special about the glory of God on the spirit of, 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 of uh, and the spirit of God was on uh, uh, the soul of, of these men. And so these men, I say soul because they appear as living souls, even though in fact they were angels and possibly even the Lord himself uh, being Christ himself. And he wasn't Christ then. Remember, Christ means Messiah. So we just want to keep things in perspective there. It just says the Lord. But we know he is the word that became flesh. So there's a lot of argument for that as well. So we can see several things about Abraham's character that we as children of God also need to adopt. One, the willingness to entertain strangers in general. Okay. Two, respect for the divine nature of God and those sent by the divine nature of God. Three, hospitality and love and compassion. Praise the Lord. Four, a desire to see the lost saved and to see no human being destroyed. All of this is in chapter 18 of Genesis. And we know that Abraham was called to be the patriarch, the savior of the world, to fulfill Genesis 3.15. Praise the Lord. Okay, so... Now, let's move on to um, chapter 19, and it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. Hallelujah. So in the case of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, it says that the two angels arrived at, at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gateway of the city. When they saw them, they got up to meet them, bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. You could see, you know, it makes you wonder, right, whether Lot had some inside knowledge because he was sitting at the gate almost like he was waiting for him. The Bible never really says. And so then what happens, right? What happens is he's immediately doing the same thing as Abraham, trying right. to greet them, trying to bless them. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise God. 
uh, greeting them, trying to bless them, trying to entreat them to come to his house. Perhaps they knew how dangerous the city of Sodom was. They didn't want them to be exposed to some of the negativity in Sodom. So he was inviting them away. And it looks like uh, the, the, the angels were did not desire. Notice only two of the angels went, leading to that belief that it was the Lord who did appear with the two angels, okay? And the Lord then sent the two angels, but he then did not go directly himself. And it says that they continued to entreat them. And as they were entreating them, right, as they were entreating them, right, they were resistant. But because he kept pressing the issue, they went. And then after they went, it says that uh, the, the, the people of Sodom showed up and then tried to get him to release the people to him so that he could then turn around and have they could have sex with the men and so at that point lot is trying to protect them okay it is part of their custom that if a guest enters your house you have to protect the guest with your life and so he's trying to encourage them to release the, these men and he even offers his daughters in replacement for the two men who were actually angels and at that point, the angels then said, okay, that's it. We've seen enough. We're prepared to destroy this city. And they're immediately trying to entreat Lot to go. Now, some of the most significant points for me is how Lot was reluctant to leave, how Lot was reluctant to disconnect, how Lot had decided that, um, you know, make it easier for me. And the angels do. They make it even easier for him. But he still has to depart. And so uh, those are the significant points for me. Did you have anything else you wanted to share about uh, Genesis chapter 19? No, just to piggyback on what you were saying, Lot was basically standing in the gap at the very beginning, uh, standing in the gap between judgment and um, between judgment and the and, and the cities. Um, and he did he did the best he could in interceding and intervening, almost crazy, very similar to his uncle. Uh, and then, yeah. Once they said, okay, it's time to go. And I mean, everything. We're talking about offering up his two virgin daughters. Not, not just, you know, that, that that was a big thing back then. So he literally was going to sacrifice his seeds so that um, judgment would not rain down upon them. So we, we have to remember that before God passes judgment, we have to look at it as though he has done everything um, that he could. And our hearts have become so hard that, it, it, it's it's they're too far gone. We're gonna have to do this, um, and like you said, disconnected but still connected to a point. Uh, almost sitting there at the city gates. He's he's inside. He's not outside of Sodom. He's inside him, but he's at the city gate. So it's almost like he's on the edge, like one foot in, one foot out. Because I I I, knew, I feel like he knew I'm here, but I'm not really supposed to be here. But but I'm but I'm here. So I have to do what I what I have to do while I'm here. Um, and that was pretty much it. Uh, the two men that they. Obviously, they appeared as men because the men of the town wanted to sleep with them. So, um, as you said before, we, we might be uh, entertaining angels and, and, and not know it. Praise the Lord. And that's right. And that's something that uh, Apostle Paul, when he made that reference, might have actually been mm -hmm. referring to some of these accounts, right? Because he would be aware of these different accounts and he might actually have been referring to those accounts directly. So, amen, that's chapter 19, and now we move on to chapter 20, Abraham and Abimelech. Now, what I find very interesting is we covered in a very earlier lesson how Abraham went to Egypt, and he immediately wanted everybody to believe that that was his, his sister, which she was his stepsister or half-sister. 
Um, and then he gets with Abimelech and pulls the same stunt again. He's, he's telling everybody that that's my sister. And, you know, what's interesting, I think, there is Sarah is up there in years. So she must have been an extremely beautiful woman that everywhere he went, even as she was up there in years, <laughs> even as she got older, everywhere they went, men wanted his wife. OK. Um, right. And uh, so you see him pulling that again. And God once again protects Sarah from any infractions. And Abimelech eventually gives back Sarah. But it also reflects how Abraham was actually dealing with some very serious situations where, you know, you're living in a nomad-like country with very little upright government, and he's just afraid, you know, because to take a man's wife, you got to kill the man to legally take the man's wife. So they murder men and take their wives. So, and keep himself from being murdered and having his wife taken, he would tell them it's his sister. So you could imagine them. And how many times has God allowed us to enter into dangerous situations and asking us to hold up a, a, a stake in righteousness, amen? But before we go on, we're gonna digress a moment. Uh, one of my son's friends, Corey, is with him there in South Carolina and he put up a question. So we're gonna post his question. And he was asking, "Is does Sodom and Gomorrah represent present day Moscow? Or am I thinking of Gog and Magog? This is Corey, I'm with Theus, amen. So welcome Corey to uh, one of our Bible college sessions. So what Corey's talking about is a philosophy and eschatology, okay? In which we typologically match the prophetic revelatory of things that, how many of you know that God is cyclical in his movements? That a lot of, there's a lot of patterns and cycles. There are metaphors and symbolisms. We're going to elevate you into the collegiate realm, saints. So if you don't understand everything, stick with it because that's what this is all about. Stretching your wisdom, stretching your knowledge so that you grow in the righteousness and understanding in God, not for the sake of head knowledge, but for the sake of spiritual wisdom to discern. And we're going to talk about that discernment as one of the pieces today in the class. But, um, and my wife welcomes Corey, welcome Corey. And we're trying again to try to keep a level of unity in the spirit, saints. We're trying to keep a level of, 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 of camaraderie, even though, even though we are here in this pandemic more than six feet apart. Some of us are in South Carolina. There's some people in Brazil, okay, uh, watching us. And, and so we want to try to keep it friendly. And so, uh, and Corey says, thank you. Amen. So there's a prophetic symbolisms and eschatological symbolisms. We're going to put the question back up. And so I'm going to say that I don't know the answer to that. I don't know that Sodom and Gomorrah is prophetically, symbolically connected to Moscow. Um, and I know that Gog of Magog is a battle that takes place um, in the end time in the book of Revelations. We haven't gotten to the eschatology, eschatology portion. Eschatology is a very disputed issue in the Christian realm and not necessarily a salvation issue, so I try not to argue about it, but there are symbolisms within symbolisms, and there are metaphors and cyclical examples in the natural occurrences of history and what God prophesies about spiritually. You know, wasn't a really a literal dragon, right, that fell out of the sky. He didn't literally have a tail. He didn't literally drag one third of the stars, right? There wasn't a literally, a, well, a literal woman, okay, who got dragged, taken into the desert. We're talking about revelations now. So we know he's talking in symbolism. So I have to say, Curry, I really don't know the answer to that, but powerful question. And these are the types of things that 
we need to start to embrace spiritually is growing in our understanding of the wisdom that God releases. It's a prophecy. There's a, 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 a wisdom, uh, a, a proverb that says to hide a matter is to the glory of God, but it's revelation or it's revealing is to the glory of kings. And how many of you know we're kings and queens in the kingdom of the Lord? Amen. Amen. So thank you for the question. Okay. And um, um, Ernest is shouting out to Corey. He got a little background conversation going on in here. <laughs> We're going to try to just share that with those watching, those viewing. Amen. And so, uh, saints, we need to grow in the spirit. And I want to digress for a second. We're on chapter 20, talking about Abraham and Abimelech, but I want to digress for a second. Understand that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And the revelatory gifts that you have, whether it be prophetic, pastoral, evangelical, okay, uh, a ministry of helps, everything you do matures as you mature in relationship. And you mature in relationship as you mature in discernment. You mature in discernment as you mature in your rightly dividing of the word of truth. The logos leads you into the rima. The wiser you are in rima, the more you comprehend in the logos. And the more you comprehend in the logos in righteousness, the stronger you grow in the rima, so that they work hand in hand in lifting you up into the glory. The purpose of this school is to help you to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. We're not here to dogmatically indoctrinate you into a teaching. We're here to help you discern in the spirit how to rightly divide the word of truth. And through that right division, you grow in a divine consciousness and your prophetic increases and your evangelical increases and your pastoral increases and your ministry of helps increases and your abilities in God increases because your intimacy with Christ increases. You're called to imitate Jesus. And Jesus was all offices, for he receiveth the spirit without limit. Glory to God. So in chapter 20, it talks about Abraham and Abimelech, and it talks about how Abraham once again was trying his best to keep himself from being killed by telling people that Sarah was his sister and he did that and every time notice he went to egypt the pharaoh took his wife okay he went among around abimelech abimelech took his wife okay so she was a very beautiful 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 woman even though she hadn't born a child she was gorgeous because we're talking about she was way over 60 years old and they were still chasing her down like she was the most beautiful woman in the universe amen so grandma was gorgeous Amen. And Amen. it shows that uh, Abimelech was wise. He gave back Sarah. And after giving back Sarah, he also gave homage. And another thing that stands out to me is that God referred to Abraham as a prophet. Most of us know him as a patriarch. Okay. But we don't know him as a prophet. But how many know it is written in scripture that the spirit of the gospel is the spirit of prophecy? The spirit of the gospel is the spirit of prophecy. And so here, Abraham is part of this gospel. Some of us think of the gospel as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But how many of you know that from Genesis 3.15 to Revelations is the gospel? Okay. Prior to Genesis 3.15, that's creation and paradise. 
We didn't need a gospel then. And we fell from grace and God prophesied in Genesis 3.15 that we were going to give birth to an heir and this heir would destroy the serpent but suffer an injury to his heel. That is the gospel in its entirety. The rest of the Bible is the explanation of that gospel. So Abraham is referred to here by God as a prophet. And how many of you know all of you have the gift of prophecy if you're preaching the gospel? Now, you might not have the office of prophet where you tell people future events, but you have the gift of the prophetic from the perspective of God because you preach the gospel of Christ. Amen. Ernest, did you have anything you want to share about chapter 20 of Genesis? Yeah, once again, we see the Lord's intercession uh, since God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken, for she is a man's wife. Um, um, now, it says, Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother, in the integrity of my heart and I'm sorry. Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. And in the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. So as you can see, um, even though Abraham, again, wayward, lying to save his life, God is trying to show him, you're fine. I have to, all you're going to be the father Abraham that I've called you to be. Everything is going to come through you. We've made a covenant. So even though you've gone over here and told this lie, I'm still going to intercede on your behalf. Um, and you can tell the way that God interceded, because I believe had that been another, just a regular old man doing something like that, I believe they, uh, Abimelech probably would have killed him. Um, and even if he would have found out that, that that was his wife, oh, yeah, well, you're a dead man anyway. So um, it's funny to see Abraham try to compensate but still miss the mark and God having to swoop in and, and save him. Um, I think, and that's, yeah, that's, I think that's all I got from there. And like you said, this is the second time, the second time that Abraham did this. Praise God. And, and it shows also that God is merciful because he didn't rebuke Abraham for it. He understood Abraham's fear because there is this case. And this is something I think, uh, I think Pastor C brought this out in one, in one of the lessons. She was talking about how we have to look at how we're going to listen to God when he's in our imminent presence and how we're going to listen to God when it appears he is not imminently present. Mm. And, and, and isn't that, isn't that similar for us too? Let's bring this, let's bring this to a, a relevant place. Isn't that relevant to us today? We feel the imminent presence of God at varying times and our level of submission and obedience is at one level. But then when we're not in the imminent presence of God, our fears and anxieties of the natural circumstances of life can sometimes be at another level, right? right? And so God may very well even be doing this to help you to see, you know, there's a lot of teaching about the way Christ used to refer to Peter as Simon. When he operated in the flesh, he'd refer to him as Simon. But when he operated in the spirit, he'd refer to him as Peter. And so he was trying to show him, when you're kingdom focused, you're in the anointing, you're the Peter that I called you to be. But when you are so concerned about natural things, you operate in the Simon, the man that you used to be. 
So praise God for that. And so we move on to chapter 21. And in chapter 21, we talk about the birth of Isaac. And we talk about Hagar and Ishmael sent away. So we know that Abraham had a child through Hagar, again, probably as a result of disobedience and not waiting on the call for Sarah to have a child. And there was dispute between Sarah and Hagar. Now, uh, the concept of a maidservant being given to Abraham so that he could then sire a child for the wife um, is a custom of theirs, but probably not a custom of the Egyptians. So Hagar didn't completely understand that custom. All she knew is that the man has come to know her and now she is birthing him a son. So she's worthy of honor. And Sarah was taking it as an offense. And so there was a lot of friction there. And now here comes Isaac. So now we've got even more friction because now Sarah is giving birth to the promised child. And so Hagar is then sent away and she's sent away. And God also gives a promise to her for her to for her son to uh, um, become a great nation. Most of us believe that to be the Arab nation. Most of us believe that that is the result of the nation of Islam and the Muslim faith. So in a very real sense, Muslims and Islamics are uh, cousins of Judaism. Uh, cousins of the Jews of Judaism. So, uh, and that's a generally accepted. There are some people who dispute that fact, but we're just going to bring out what's what's generally accepted. Amen. And so we see the birth of Isaac. We see uh, that Hagar ultimately has to get sent away. We notice that the person who has the wisdom to send him away is Sarah, not Abraham. So you women of God, you sisters, there's the times, oh, you need to listen to me because I got an anointing too. Well, here you go in the Bible. They show where you do have an anointing too. And God actually tells him to listen to his wife, okay, and send him away. Don't worry, I'll take care of the child. But this can't happen. He can't continue in this mix because he's going to threaten the divine future of Isaac. Amen. Do you have anything that you wanted to share from chapter 21 of uh, Genesis? Just very interesting that the Lord to this day is still protecting that. He still has a covenant with that those people. Oftentimes we forget that, that, you know, Ishmael uh, is the original heir, the, the offspring, the first. Um, so we have to be very careful. This is why the Lord tells us to love our neighbors and things like that. So because we forget that through all these bloodlines and through all these different countries and through all these different cultures that somewhere down the line, these two brothers, half brothers, um, even though one went this way and one went forward, the Lord is going to bring those two back together, uh, uh, prophetically speaking. So Ishmael is still out there. And the Lord says, you know, he, what did they say? He called him a, a wild donkey. He's going to contend. He's not going to be able to be contained um, until the time of reconciliation. So we have to remember that when dealing with uh, these individuals. So I just, I just, I say that to, to just, you know, so that everybody keeps that in the forefront of their mind. And I believe with us being in the, the close to the end of days, that reconciliation will soon come. So don't be surprised if you don't, if you don't see that. Amen. Amen. And Daniela Day reached out and said, but is, but he wasn't Jewish. And I guess she's asking that as a question. No, Ishmael was not Jewish because remember, um, to be Jewish, okay, you could be of Shem, okay, 
And Abraham was the father of the Semitic people, but he was father of the Semitic people through Isaac, not through Ishmael. The Semitic people were galvanized through Jacob, through the 12 brothers, which ultimately went to Egypt and built the nation. And then they received the Mosaic law, okay, from, through Moses, from God. That, those are the Jewish people. So in, in theory, descendants of Ishmael could trace their lineage back to Abraham, but they can't be concluded as part of the covenant of circumcision because the covenant of circumcision was given through Moses. And so they didn't receive, well, actually, I believe the Ishmaelites actually did probably circumcise. I don't know if the Bible talks about that. So that's a research point, whether the Ishmaelites did circumcise, but they didn't receive the Mosaic covenant. And so, no, they are not considered part of the Jewish Semitic people, even though they are also descendants of Abraham. So that was a good question by Daniela Day. Amen. And then we go to chapter 22, which talks about the testing of Abraham. Praise God. Okay, so Abraham is tested by his son being uh, asked to be set for him to be asked to be sacrificed his son. Now, let's think about this for a second. Why do you think God wanted to sac wanted to challenge Abraham to sacrifice his son? What was his most prized possession? His son. So God was testing his most prized possession. I remember uh, one time in, in the church ministry that I led, one of the brothers wanted to uh, work through a book. The book was called, I believe, Experiencing God. Some of you may be experienced, familiar with that book in the workshop associated with it. And one of the things that he used to talk about is identifying, quote unquote, your Isaac. Mm. And um, what he was talking about is there's something in your life that rivals your passion for God. There's something in your life that, whether it's your wife, whether it's your job, whether it's your money, whether it's your personal health, whether it's your appearance, there's something in your life that you treasure that rivals your passion for God. And until you're challenged according to your Isaac, and until you lay it down, you can't walk in the fullness of the glory. You can't walk in the fullness of the glory that God has appointed you. And why you can't walk in it is because the Isaac is an idolatry that hovers around your anointing and hinders you from the fullness of his glory. It hinders you from the fullness of the anointing flowing in your life, and it actually robs you of your complete blessing. So here God challenges Abraham to sacrifice his son. Abraham, of course, is willing to accept the challenge, but look at his level of faith. Remember what he told him, remember what he said about Sodom and Gomorrah. God, you are a righteous God, far be it from you to destroy the wicked with the innocent. Will not the God of all creation do right? So do you think he thought he was gonna have him kill his son? He didn't believe that. In fact, it says at some point he said to him, God will provide the offering. So he, he was confident the whole time that even though God had asked him to do this, he was going to do this, okay? But he knew that God wouldn't have him do it. Why? Because God's a righteous God. So when God asks you to lay down your Isaac, realize he's not looking to possess it for himself. If it's for you to have, he will make a way for you to have it. 
But what he doesn't want is for you to have it in a way that is not of God. And so he wanted to reveal to Abraham that your son is in my hands. And I know that you know that, but let's manifest it through this trial. Mm. Did you want to share something uh, about this, uh, Ernest? Yeah, the test was not so much that... The test was not so much could God trust Abraham and no, the test was not so much could God trust Abraham. It was to see that uh, Abraham could trust God. So you say you're going to provide. You're asking me to give this sacrifice. Here I go giving this sacrifice. And right before I do, boom, there's a ram in the bush. Um, And let's not forget poor old Sarah, what she was doing during this time, because Sarah had already... uh, Sarah had to watch this go on and actually had to stand by. Um, I don't know if they deceived her or what happened, but somehow he had to get that child up there on that hill and prepare him for a sacrifice. Amen. Praise God. And we've got some comments here that we'll entertain. Regarding to loving one another, is it judgment to speak to someone with opposing perspectives or right or wrong, or is it to do so with malice or even goodwill in your heart towards that person? Um, based on personal perspectives. So one of the points that I think is trying to be brought here, it says regarding loving one another, is it judgment to speak to someone with opposing perspectives? So the thing is that the Bible talks about not disputing over uh, uh, disputable points. So there are disputable matters and the Bible speaks about disputable matters. And inside those disputable matters, one should not dispute, especially if it's going to create a division. But let us also remember that Christ spoke in righteousness. So we're always called to imitate Jesus. If we're going to we're going to embrace this question, we're going to have to go beyond Abraham. We're going to have to go to Christ. And Christ talked to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And trust me, they had opposing positions. And at one point, he finally told them, he says, you're a brood of vipers. OK, you're wicked men. OK, he says, you're whitewashed tombs. You, you, and he even tells them that you're twice that you're raising up disciples to be twice as much a servant of hell as you are. So the thing is that if you're addressing the person on the personals and it's all about the personals, then it has no place. Okay. But if you're addressing somebody for kingdom interest, then there's always a place for kingdom interest. And love does confront, right? Bible says, if your brother sins against you, confront him. And if he repents, forgive him. So love is confrontational. But now if you're going to take it into a personal rivalry and take it into the flesh, then you're kind of out of order. Okay. So so for me personally, whenever I have a dispute with somebody, it's always an issue of, is this an issue of righteousness? So if there's an issue of righteousness, then I'll address it. If it's not an issue of righteousness, I might try to sidestep it. If it's a, a salvation issue, I will address it. If it's not a salvation issue, then I might let it slide, depending on what I feel the Spirit's guiding me. But at all times, my heart needs to be kingdom-centered. At the point in which I can't be kingdom-centered, then it's probably best not to engage the person. Did you want to touch this question? Like, yeah, so, and that's, I agree with what you said, and I kind of go along the same lines. One, wh- where is my heart? Is this a place where I'm healed, where I can address this? um it's so that's one am i sober in this area because if, if you're not if you're still hurt if this is, has to do with church hurt or something like that i would say don't touch it but if i'm in a place where i feel like my heart can address this and then i also feel like their heart is in a place where we can have an honest open conversation doesn't mean that i'm right doesn't mean that they're wrong but where hey we can bring these things to the table 
let's sit down and discuss now in some of those situations some of the stuff you're going to know okay so we, we you tell him you know i'm going to go sacrifice these animals you're going to be like okay well you know that's that's not necessarily right and you can slowly talk through um those situations but one thing i would always suggest um and we we, we don't really get a chance to see it it's because the bible is kind of some of the stuff when jesus is walking the earth is in snapshots it's boom 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 but always when you're dealing with an individual or a group of people and you have opposing sides always come together on what you can agree upon first and start there and build a relationship there then once you build a relationship when you get to those areas where you don't agree it won't be it's like well you know I, okay yeah he's a christian but I, I like him for that but then he's a dallas cowboys fan so i you know that part we will we can work through that part but so it, it, it's not it's not as you know as as much a strike you always want to build a relation and i think that's the one thing that is, is beautiful about this college is that we're actually seeing god in the scriptures in the beginning the word was god the word was with god and we're watching these words on the page but this is actually jesus christ himself on this page talking to us so he's building this relationship and he's like okay take me from the page let me manifest and and, and be born and come through this woman and now you can actually see me walk okay and then now i'm going to go to the next level i'm going up in heaven and i'll look down but I, this is this is what i've built through all through all your lifetime through your ancestors lifetime through your great grandfather this is all the way back to abraham noah adam this is what i built i built this relationship with you so i will always say start with um building relationships um and at any point during the conversation if you feel it's malice you or them it's no longer a conversation it's a, uh it's then battle and then you, you nobody's gonna win on that you just have to leave praise god and i want to piggyback on what something ernest was saying about that is that <clears throat> you know you are called to seek and save the lost if you're imitating christ christ never went to the pharisees the sadducees he didn't go to the romans he didn't go he went to the lost sheep of israel okay and so he went to the lost sheep of israel to preach and to teach and he always looked for people who had the faith to abide in what he was teaching. He never hovered around those that didn't believe in him. He would bring the message, and if they reacted in a certain way positively, he would bring them more wisdom. If they wanted to depart, he let them depart. If they wanted to stay, he let them stay. If they brought forth the falsehood in the midst of his preaching, he brought correction to it. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to him. I find a lot of times we get into conflicts because we're in a place we should not be. We're addressing people we should not address. We're going somewhere that we're not called to be. And so now we're running into mm. conflict. But if our mind is laser focused on seeking and saving the lost and advancing the kingdom of God, inevitably you'll have conflict because the enemy is going to send his agents. But they'll be easy to spot while you're at work for the Lord. Who's the agent and who's the brother or the sister? Okay. Easy to spot when you're on assignment. Harder to spot when you're on your own. So always use that as wisdom. Why are we having this conflict? Where is this conflict really stemming from? Amen. And oftentimes you'll find the conflict stems from getting caught up in personals or, or, or you're trying to accomplish something that's not of the will of God. You can't show more grace than God has and you can't win souls past what God seeks to have happen in the moment. Okay, so you can't push people past their convictions and you can't cross boundaries into people's sovereignty. Amen. So sometimes it's best to let it go. Amen. Praise God. And uh, we have another point here. But before we bring up the second point, before we bring up the second uh, uh, question.
question that's out there, a second statement. I want to tie this all back in. Understand that the Bible says that these scriptures have been put in place so that we might learn. Learn from the mistakes, not to make those mistakes, and to learn from the righteousness so that we know how to imitate God in righteousness. And so you see a lot of Christ-like characteristics in Abraham, but you also see a lot of flesh movement in Abraham. Okay, deceptions and little things going on to try to save his life, to try to protect himself, to try to deal with the situation. It's still how we live our own lives, right? We have our moments where we're flowing in the glory, right? And then we have our moments where we're struggling in the natural, right? But God has grace on both circumstances. So when when uh, Apostle Paul references faith as the foundation of the kingdom, which the faith that founded the kingdom appeared before the Mosaic law. He was trying to show the Gentiles that God always operated this way. So law was never the solution to the glory. Amen. And so um, let's, let's, let's go to the second point here. Something from Daniela day. She says, Rudy mentioned the relationship between Isaac and his father. They don't talk about how he felt much or if he struggled the entire time while Abraham was tying him down. Was it because he trusted his father as Abraham trusted God? Well, that's a speculatory. That's a speculatory. It is true that it doesn't say much. But, um, you know, what's very interesting is when you look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, okay, three patriarchs, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You hear a lot about Abraham. You hear a lot about Jacob. But you don't hear a lot about Isaac. Now, smooth sailing. <laughs> smooth sailing. There you go. And it is a mere earnest didn't practice that one. It's the spirit is, is agreement. Something must have really been smooth sailing about Isaac that there wasn't much to say, other than he received a wife and went on to give <laughs> to give birth to Jacob. Do you see? So it's a lot of reason to believe Isaac was an extremely obedient. You know, it's funny. I had a pastor one time tell me to study the history of Enoch. And so I went to look and study the history of Enoch. The Bible says very little about Enoch, except he was taken away in a fiery chariot. It doesn't say much. The Bible seems to spend a lot more time discussing the people that messed up than he discusses the people that didn't. And mm -hmm. it's interesting, right? Because Paul said that the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, right? So we don't see the we don't see Paul's letter to Berea, right? But we see two letters to the Thessalonians, right? So gives us the impression in Berea, smooth sailing. Now this doesn't have to necessarily be true. There's there's some claim from an apocryphal perspective that the Berean that Berean books did exist, and there's some in in there's some reference or allusion to them in scripture as well. But clearly they weren't books that God saw to be kept for prosperity to edify the souls, probably because of smooth sailing. So I would have to say, and this is a personal revelation, not a doctrinal fact, that yes, Isaac trusted his dad. And he just, my dad said that God's going to provide the lamb. I guess this is some sort of ritual I've got to go through. But yeah, it doesn't say at all that Isaac struggled or begged his father not to kill him um, at some point, I guess. Um, uh, Isaac was just in trust of the Lord. Amen. Um, and then here's Pastor Jen is making a comment as well. Okay. Isaac was very obedient to his father. Amen. So um, this brings up a very important point. So let's discuss this too. 
and we have the time to do so. Amen. And that is that there is a difference between personal revelation, commentary, and interpretation and belief and doctrinal fact. I find many disciples arguing over uh, personal revelation and personal interpretation. Okay. I find many disciples arguing over that. And I'm like, wow, this isn't a salvation issue. And the Bible is not emphatically, not emphatic on this subject. You're now creating animosity and friction between each other over a disputable matter. The Bible says don't dispute over disputable matters. So it's always important to know the difference between what's a smoking gun in scripture and what's somebody's personal revelation based on their intuitions as far as the personality of God. Amen. I mean, um, just to piggyback, yeah, I'm glad you said that because uh, that was that was actually going to be my my uh, response to Rudy. Um, that's a good question. Those there's things like that that the Lord is looking for. Those those are like relationship builders. Because now you're thinking, okay, well, it doesn't say that, but we all think, okay, if our father was getting ready to sacrifice us, we would feel some type of way. There probably would be some type of dialogue between us and our father, possibly even a physical struggle, um, <laughs> to a certain extent. So definitely take that to the lord in prayer and and remember uh if you do get personal revelation um if you if you can if it's if it's in the bible somewhere you can ask them hey lord can you show me that in the bible if not then you know you just remember it's personal revelation but that'll be for you and the lord and that'll help build your relationship with you and the lord and also in the future speaking prophetically help build your relationship between you and your children so Praise the Lord. And he'd asked another question about whether Isaac, uh, the second question, uh, second question is, um, uh, do we know how old he was? Well, we know that he was old enough to walk and we know that he was old enough to bear the weight of, of wood because he carried the wood on his back. Okay. He carried the wood and Abraham carried the fire. And it says in the previous chapter that he was weaned away from his mother and they had a great feast. So it's reasonable to believe that he was old enough to walk and old enough to carry wood, but it doesn't state exactly how old he was at the time that this happened, but he probably was still a young boy at the time. Amen. Um, Ernest is searching. So we're going to wait as Ernest searches while he searches, I'll share some other points. So we've covered the up to the 22nd chapter of Genesis in this through the Bible in a one year institute level class. And while Ernest is looking and doing the research that he's doing there, I want to just recap from Genesis chapter one, where God creates man and woman and he creates the whole world and the universe. And he does these things with the purpose of putting man in paradise and he forms a covenant with Adam, but he's not to eat the fruit and he eats the fruit, violates the covenant and in violation of the covenant, the end result of that violation of the covenant is that he now has to suffer the consequences, which is death. But God seeing fit not to let him die without procreating, without creating the rest of us, he creates this prophetic elongated event that's going to take place over a season of time, which we read in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. And we see that prophecy is now what's the rest of the Bible fulfilling. Okay, the rest of the Bible is fulfilling the prophecy of Genesis three fifteen, the seed prophecy of the gospel. Okay, the prophecy of a messianic leader that would save man from the work of the devil. In that process of creating that, 
now we see that Noah had to be called to keep human life alive um, because of the prophecy of Genesis 3.15, that also Abraham is now called as God separates a people unto himself in order to fulfill the prophecy of Genesis 3.15. And so um, we're watching this prophetic unfold and everything you read and everything you see in the word, you have to say, ask yourself, how does this play a role in the prophetic fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. I find a lot of people getting majoring in minor things in scripture, not looking at the grand picture of the full glory of God. Amen. Ernest, did you want to share something? Uh, yes, two things. One, um, it does not say the age. I, I, I want to say, I don't know, somebody's commentary had got the, the age range in between the dates um, he was born and all that good stuff, but I, I don't see it here in this Bible. Um, one thing I would like to say, uh, and I don't know if you want to talk about this too, Apostle. First uh, Peter uh, chapter three, uh, when he talks about the wives and the husbands, he actually does a callback to Sarah and Abraham. And he says, um, wives and husbands, it says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct, conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Praise God. And that's something that we actually covered in the Wednesday group. For those of you who are not part of the school, but just auditing, uh, we do a Zoom on Wednesdays. And then we also do the Be Live on Sunday. The Be Live is to give students a chance who missed the Wednesday to make up course hours by watching the, the Sunday. And also as an evangelical tool to show the whole of Facebook and whoever else might look at it on social media, the, the way our school flows and if they then want to be a part of the school. So Ernest is bringing out something that was covered in our Wednesday movement, and it's a very powerful point that um, he's talking about. Sarah was a gorgeous woman. It's clearly Egyptian. Pharaoh wanted her. The king of Bimelech wanted her. And she was wanted even in her older years. So um, she was a gorgeous woman. But yet she called her husband Lord, and she respected Abraham emphatically. And she did not allow her outward adornment to be her adornment, but it was the inner quality of her heart. And Peter references her when he talks to the women of God to say, if you want to be a woman of God, you need to walk with a gentle, quiet spirit. You need to walk in proper submission and righteousness, that your adornment may not be your outward appearance or the fineness of jewelry or the appearance of your clothing, but let it be of the inner quality of the heart. He says, if you operate in this way, then you are true daughters of Abraham, and I mean, true daughters, I'm sorry, of Sarah. And I wanna then add, of course, because we don't wanna make it seem like we're trying to speak out to the women without talking to the men. You can see in the case of the men that Abraham was a very faithful, devoted husband. He was a faithful and devoted father. And we know that Christ talks about the spirit of the Lord comes to turn the hearts of the sons back to the father and the hearts of the fathers back to the sons. So 
when you understand the concepts of discipleship, and this is one of the reasons why we pressed through the scriptures the way we did, is because I wanted to have this open conversation at the end here so that you can embrace what you're learning at a supernatural level and it not just be another intellectual ascension or an elevation in academic wisdom, but it may be a spiritual movement of righteousness in your life that it might begin to, in, that you might be able to embrace this at a supernatural level and it change your consciousness and that you actually be blessed in the spirit is that we are called as disciples to look to imitate Jesus in everything. In everything, the concept of discipleship under Judaism was when a person was a disciple of a Pharisee or a rabbi, he followed him everywhere. Okay, he followed him everywhere he went and he studied everything he studied and he looked to imitate him in every way. Discipleship is about extreme imitation. Okay, and so if we're going to become like Jesus, we're called to come to him in the heart of extreme imitation. And so when you read the stories about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, when you read the stories about Noah and all the great men of God, how much of that are we operating in an extreme imitation of this glory with Christ Yeshua being the ultimate great anointed man of God? Noah was anointed. Abraham's anointed. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph was anointed, Moses anointed, but the most anointed was Christ. How did he carry himself and how did he operate and how did he flow? And do you carry yourself, men of God, operate and flow with that same heart, with that same commitment, with that same glory, with that same passion of extreme imitation? And it's funny because the Lord himself said, I operate with extreme imitation of the Father. He said, I do nothing unless I see my Father do it. So with the spirit without limit, with the glory of being the Father of all creation, being reduced to the humility of a man, Christ considered being like man nothing to be considered, but humbled himself even until death. Praise God. There's another question here from Daniela Day. Uh, any passages of scriptures is to be studied immediately and for the training service book. No, I'm going to send you guys out an email about the reading schedule for Through the Bible in One Year and the training for service. If you want to start to skim through it, amen. If you want to um, wait until I send you the email, amen as well. Then we have another question. Um, and it says, to whom is he speaking? Oh, is yeah, yeah, yeah. For others, uh, I addition to those to whom it was first given. So uh, I don't know what reference or passage in, he's talking about. reference about the hair. Which I think he's talking about the hair, the hair braided. Uh, I would need a scriptural reference to know what you're talking about. So, Daniel, if you can oh, post a scriptural think- reference. I think she's talking about First Peter, uh, chapter three. From what I read, First Peter chapter three, uh, verses one through six. Okay, so there are a lot of people that took that scripture literally. So that's excellent question, Daniela. Right, good. You're walking us right through some very powerful things. We're here to serve in the spirit. So um, there's a lot of people that take that too literally. I know there are people that don't wear stockings, don't shave their legs, believe they can't braid their hair, believe they can't cut their hair, or they can't grow their hair. There's all this thought, okay? Um, The key that I think we need to understand is that 
he said, let not your adornment be. Adornment means what makes you beautiful. So in those times, braiding the hair in very complicated, beautiful ways was a form of adornment. But these women, obsessed with the adornment of their natural self, did not consider walking in a gentle, quiet spirit an aspect of adornment so that their adornment was the outward appearance. You could have beautifully braided hair, you could have beautiful makeup, you could shave your legs, you could wear stockings, you could wear earrings, you could be made beautiful. But if you consider it just a reflection of your inner being, great. And your inner being walks with a gentle, quiet spirit, amen. But if you're now making the adornment the outward appearance, by making the adornment the outward appearance, you're now not following the scripture. So we find people, um, extremists, who are trying to follow it legalistically. He didn't say, do not braid your hair and do not wear jewelry. He doesn't say that. He said, let not your adornment be, meaning let not that be how you make yourself beautiful, but let your character imitation of Sarah be that which makes you beautiful. For she, though extremely beautiful, did not embrace that, but walk with a gentle, quiet spirit in submission in righteousness. Hopefully, Daniela, that, that answers your question there. And Ernest did post uh, some of the details of those scriptures there. Yeah, in a, in, a, in a very in a very nice way, he's saying, make sure the inside of the cup is clean. Don't just, uh, not just the outside of the cup. The cup. A cup is not truly clean unless the inside is clean, is really what he's saying. Um, and you're right, a lot of people have taken that out of context. And I did, honestly, till we, um, till we touched on it this week. And I said, oh, I never saw that part. Him call, do the call back to Sarah. And now reading with the Sarah and lining it up, I'm like, oh. I see what he's saying now. And because we know Sarah was beautiful. Like you said, she's 60 plus. Got a Bimelech. Uh, he getting ready to lose his life. So, <laughs> wasn't even a thought. So obviously, he that beauty, the outward beauty is there. But the fact, the way she admired and looked at Abraham and called him Lord, that is, I mean, I, you, man, you, somebody else, <laughs> it's when they're going to be in jail. So, um, so yeah, that, that was thank you thank you for asking that question because that really does clear up because that that's i feel like that's something that's taken out of context that'll stumble a lot of people and they won't understand it they'll go out and they'll preach that and then people will be out out here running around you know running around under that so yeah amen praise god and and see this is how we tie it back in extreme imitation santo glory to god hallelujah extreme imitation extreme imitation of christ yeshua it's extreme submission and, and this is where, we're, and I'm talking about in the spirit. I'm not talking to you about submitting to me or a church or a leadership or anything other than understanding what the spirit of God is ministering to you from the word of God. And then by understanding what the spirit of God is ministering to you by the word of God, that you then become broken in your natural self so that your spirit mind then flows in the rima of the logos, which then manifests the character of Christ. I'm, so, I'm talking to you in the spirit now. Amen. So we actually have seven additional minutes, okay? And so since we have seven additional minutes, I love those extra minutes, amen. Um, 
Daniela Day did have a question. Um, she's talking about 1 Timothy 5.23, maybe Ernest, because I have the whole system up here. I can't reference my online Bible. If you could uh, just read that out to the saints, because we do also turn this into a podcast. So those listening on the podcast can also successfully participate. We'll read it out. Amen. Yes, it says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Okay, um, was that the scripture or the, yeah, 523. She said 1 Timothy 523, is that is that it? Amen. Okay, so um, uh, that's an interesting scripture as well. Um, I think a lot of people use that scripture one way or another. Um, uh, most most <laughs> people use it from the perspective of saying, God didn't say you can't drink alcohol. Well, actually, God didn't say you can't drink alcohol, but he does say you can't get drunk. So um, one needs to use wisdom there. I know there's a lot of ministries that say you should not drink alcohol. You can't drink alcohol. A man of God shouldn't drink alcohol. That actually is not biblical. That's a that's a decision made by ministries, by ministers who've created their own traditions. But that's not a biblical tradition. Um, in the case of Timothy, however, he was not in, in the case. So that notwithstanding, that specific scripture it's not the justification to be able to drink alcohol because the reality is he was referring to Timothy's stomach and he was using the alcohol as a medicinal uh, item. So he was talking about using alcohol medicinally, not socially. So um, that's the difference in that scripture. And then um, Pastor Jen has this to share. She says, everyone has their own uh, revelation on that scripture. Amen. Uh, so let's just share this while we're here about different revelations. We are all called under the righteousness of God to submit to God. Where God does not forbid something, we don't have the right to forbid it. If God does say that it is forbidden, then we also must consider it forbidden. If we choose to abstain from something because of our weak and or strong conscience, then that's our personal revelation. We can't impose that revelation or create consequences for another person because of our own revelation. Amen. Amen. Did we cover the um the paper? No, we didn't. And he gave it to Timothy for a reason. Amen. That's correct, Daniel Day. Um, no, we did not. We did not uh, cover the paper, and so I'm glad you brought that up. Everybody that is part of the school writes a paper at the end of each semester, or one third through the first semester. And I want to let you know that you are asked to write a paper if you're matriculating for the diploma in institute, and if you're going forward from the diploma in institute, which is the prerequisite for the associates in the next year. Um, you might want to start working on your paper now. The best way to do it is just go subtitle by subtitle for each set of scriptures that we cover and subtitle by subtitle, write your little commentary notes. When it's time to actually write your paper at the end of the semester, it's going to go a lot easier because all you're going to do is look at your commentary notes from each subtitle. Okay, Almost every Bible subtitles each section. So you've got chapter, you've got verse, but you've also got book, chapter, subtitle verse okay so go through each subtitle don't read the verses you should have already read them read the subtitle and say what do i know about this then fashion that thought in your mind then reread the item and go did i get it right 
Okay, yes, I did. This is great comprehension skill practice. Then write your commentary notes. So if you write your commentary notes for each subtitle as we go through the course, by the time you get to week 12, when you have to write your paper, it's going to be a piece of cake because you're going to be like, all I got to do is go through my commentary notes and segue them together and my paper's done. Now, here's what's beautiful. We're going to go through the Bible in one year, which means you're going to end up with commentary notes on every single subtitle in the Bible, which means you have a commentary on every scripture in the Bible. If you save it, you literally have, if you save it, at the end of the year, you will actually have your own written commentary of the Bible written in your hand based on your own revelation. I can tell you from experience, going back and reading that later is very powerful because you go back and you read, oh, wow, remember when I thought this and now I have this greater wisdom of Wow, I wrote that? I don't even remember the Spirit even giving me that to write. It is very, very, very enlightening uh, to do this. So you're not only going to write this paper at the end of the first semester. Of course, you won't have covered the entire Bible. But by the end of the year, you will have covered the entire Bible. You'll have your own written commentary as well as a diploma in the Institute for uh, Bible History. So thank you, Ernest, for reminding me about that. Uh, we've got, looks like, a minute left on the official time. Ernest, did you want to share anything? Um, no, I just, I, guys, I always want to just thank you for tuning in, for watching, for listening, for the questions, for the interaction. Um, without you guys, you know, it, it you know, always made it possible to go back and forth. But it, it's good when the questions are asked because you guys get us thinking out of uh, the original plans and uh, searching through the scriptures, seeing what you're finding. A lot of times you're asking the questions that I once had or I still have. And like I said, even this week, that first Peter chapter three, I had heard that before. Didn't know where it came from. So when they did the call back to Sarah, that that just I said, oh, OK, I see what he's talking about. Context. All right. I understand what he's saying, because, you know, people will have you reading the Bible and think God wants you to be bald headed and ugly. And that's that's not true. So so uh, thank you. Thank you guys for the questions and the interactions. Praise the Lord. And so, guys, we're going to close out here. I know that there's some more questions on there from Daniela Day. There was also some additional comments from Corey and Theus. Um, for the sake of the recording, which goes on the YouTube page for people to be able to review, and for the sake of the podcast, which goes on many podcast locations, we're going to close out in prayer here, but we will continue to answer the questions that are in the comment. So you can always see when you see a tag for the questions that you've asked in the comment. Okay. Uh, Pastor Jennifer, thanks all of you for joining, and we're going to close out in a word of prayer. Uh, Ernest, do you want to take us home? Sure. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you to come again, to come together to commune in the spirit. Father God, we want to say thank you for this Facebook platform. We want to say thank you for all the students, even the ones, even the individuals that are just here looking and watching over the class. We want to thank you for Apostle Kevin. We want to thank you for Pastor Jen and their sacrifices and what they had to Put behind so that this can go off smoothly smoothly father god we want to thank you for this technology that we i think we only had one glitch father god so that was great um when we got through this and we were able to effectively uh answer all the questions and address all the issues father god i ask as we put this out to the world that you would continue to give us revelation on this uh, information that you would continue to give others revelation that they may leave comments and commentary father god that just will bring us closer to you closer to your son father god that's the only reason why we're doing this is to get closer to you to learn truly who you are father god so you can show us truly who we are father we ask that if anything was said 
today out of the flesh or out of our manly ways or out of offense or out of an unsober mind, Father God, that it quickly be erased and forgotten about. We ask, Father, that you forgive us of our sins, the ones we know about, the ones we don't know about. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And have a beautiful Sunday, saints. Blessings. Blessings.